Well, we use an online portal in terms of data collection. So we provide a link to a secure portal that's password protected. And they put their documents in there? They put their documents in there. And how compliant are people with that? What I love about you know the US is you guys are a little ahead of us. You export everything, technology, fashion. You know, we exported Justin Bieber, so you could thank us for that. <laughs> I don't know if you want to thank us, but we send them to you. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today in the show, I have Tim O'Brien from Zipfell Capital, based out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Tim is in the Scotsman's Guide to Top Originators in the Country. Last year, funded 394 mortgages for about $160 million, which is pretty great, pretty cool. But what was even more interesting to me is that he only has one assistant, which is mind-boggling to do that many mortgages. And so, of course, when I see something like this, I got to ask questions. And so we dive into where his business comes from. I even ask about his process. So how does he manage the files? Like what happens when a lead comes in? Turns out that about 30% of his business comes from financial advisors. And so when I found that out, I was like, okay, pretend I'm a financial advisor and pitch me on what you'd say to me if I was a financial advisor. So you're gonna hear some scripting from that, which was, I think, excellent. His process, he'd share some of the tools that he uses in order to manage so many files with such a small team. And then the other thing that I noticed that a lot of his business comes from his database. And unfortunately, a lot of mortgage brokers and loan officers don't do a great job of this. And so I asked him about some of his database marketing strategies and he explained some of the reports and things that he runs on his database to find deals that literally are just laying there in your data if you know how to look at it. Really fun conversation, awesome guy, and he's got a great company, Zipfell Capital in Cincinnati, Ohio. In today's Ask the Expert segment, Ruben from Deeded will be talking about how to virtually service your clients. Hey, before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to my title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform that is incredibly easy to use, easy for borrowers and also easy for brokers. It's got some cool features like smart docs. So as the client's filling out the application, it's already figuring out exactly what documents that you need. It's got smart submission notes. So when you get ready to submit that to a lender, it's actually pulling key data from the application and putting in the notes. And you may think, Scott, why do you need that? It's because every lender's underwriting platform is different. Finding the information in the application is always like all over the place. And so this way you have one place for your notes, which is awesome. It's connected to Lender Spotlight, which means you can search rates and guidelines, and it's just incredibly easy. Our brokers absolutely love it. And the best part is there's no subscription fee. Best next step would be to go to finmo.ca and book a free strategy session, and they'll show you how this can help you save tons of time. Check it out. Hey, Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your business? Yeah, so... I have been in business for 15 years. The name of my company is Zipfel Capital. It's the last name of Mike Zipfel, who started the company back in 2006. He and I have been together for, gosh, about 13 of the 15 years that I've been in business. So we're based in Cincinnati, Ohio. We're licensed in seven states, but most of our business is in the greater Cincinnati area. And yeah, I've been fortunate to... Um, work with great professionals, realtors, financial planners, CPAs, attorneys, and executives. And that is really the source of our business. So basically networking. And what do you have for a team? So last year you did 394 mortgages. How yeah, much? How many, how many team members do you have? One assistant, Hannah Lambert. And she's the best assistant there is, in my opinion. None of this would be possible without her. 
Like, does she work 20 hours a day or what? Like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, she works maybe 30 hours a week. Right. Okay. So this is unusually high number of mortgages that you're funding, given, you know, the amount of support you have. So I definitely want to ask some questions about that. Before I jump in there, though, tell me a little bit about how did you get into the mortgage business? Like, how did you find yourself, Yeah. you know, in mortgages? Yeah, studied business at Xavier University here in Cincinnati. And like a lot of college students, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. <laughs> I don't know that anyone dreams of being a mortgage professional as when they're a kid. I certainly no, didn't. I didn't even know what um, it is. Yeah, but I had a job as a certified HUD housing counselor. And that started when I was in college. And so I kind of got into the business in an interesting way. If my listeners don't know what that means, what is that? And actually, yeah, I don't either. So, I, don't, I don't either. So I'm going to pretend it's my <laughs> listeners. Tell me like I'm 10. What is that? Yeah. So I counseled homeowners who are struggling to afford their mortgage payments, how to create a budget and okay. helping them get back on track with delinquent mortgages. This goes back, Scott, this was in 2006 and 2007 when, you know, we had much higher foreclosure rates than we do now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I knew of people in the mortgage industry my age, at the time I would have been maybe 22 years old that were, you know, making six figures and driving nice cars. And that certainly caught my eye. And so, yeah, got licensed in 2007 and that kind of started the journey that I'm still on. Right. Okay. So you started in the HUD. Then how did you end up? So Mike Zipfel, was he an established mortgage guy that you came to work yes. with? Or how, yes. how, how so, long has he been in the business? And, and how, yeah, did, you, so how Zip, did that connection happen? Yeah, Zip's been in the business for 21, 22 years. And he and I met through a mutual friend. And he had just started the company. And we had a meeting. At this point in time, Scott, I really wasn't sure if I was going to stay in the business. I was thinking about going back to school and just, you know, trying to figure out the next step. And, you know, Mike and I hit it off immediately. You know, I, I think we have the same values of taking care of our clients first and foremost. And it felt right. And I joined up with him shortly thereafter. Right. Okay. So is he still in the business or do you? He is. Okay. Yes. And is he still doing production? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. So 394 mortgages in 2021. What was it like the year before? Like, was there a spike? Is this like all of a sudden going along and then bang? Or was it like a gradual, if you think about your yeah. numbers over the past few years? Yeah. So really, it was a gradual step up from when I started up until maybe 2019. I think my production was around 100 million, maybe 100. Yeah, something like that, Scott. And then in 2020, obviously, with COVID, interest rates declined to historic lows. And really, in 2020 and 2021, it was just flying by the seat of your pants every day and just trying to keep your head on straight and, <laughs> and close all of the business that was coming our way. You know, really, we weren't doing any outward calls. It was mainly just like I said, just bracing for the business that was coming in as a result of the low interest rate environment. Okay. So how many mortgages, 2019, how many mortgages do you recall what you funded for units? Yeah, I think unit wise, it was maybe, you know, two to 220. Something was that, like that a pretty normal year for you? Or is that like, uh, you know, I would say that was a fairly normal year. Like I said, I had progressed over the years where I was doing more and more business and a lot of it was with past clients and referrals. We don't buy leads. 
We invest some money in branding, but we're not actively buying any marketing on Facebook. All right. So you basically went from 200 to 394. You had some tailwinds with the number of, but it's still one assistant is a crazy low amount of help. I want to ask some questions about the split. So what percentage of the business came from past clients, realtors? I'm curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. So at least speaking of 2021, I would say it's maybe 40 to 50% past clients. And then, you know, maybe 60 to 50% of just network and referral sources that we have in place here. And with the network and referral, what percent would be from real estate agents versus like other professionals? Like, Yeah, the high majority of the referrals come from financial advisors. I put a focus on that. Because, I mean, it's a totally different referral, right? A referral- oh, yeah, there's a high, like, yeah, if your financial advisor, my experience has been, they trust the financial advisor, the trust is higher. Exactly. The trust yeah. is higher. With a realtor, it's much more of a transactional referral, right? A realtor wants to know, all right, how can you help me close more loans and close more deals? And that's how they should be thinking. But with a financial advisor, you know, they're thinking more so from the perspective of their client's finances. And- Cash flow, money Cash for investing. Flow. Yeah. 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 And I've done really well in that space. And advisors know and trust that I'm going to give the same unbiased advice that they give their clients. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And when the financial advisors are referring you, what is it for refinances or purchases? Both. I just had a conference call with a financial advisor who has a client that is on the precipice of a ground up construction. And just kind of walking them through the mechanics of how that works. Yeah. Um, you know, some financial advisors, they like to be the front man communicating. They want to be everything to do with the money. If it's exactly. money, I want to have my influence on it. So Exactly. Exactly. They like to be the client CFO. And so, yeah, I have those interactions pretty much on a daily basis. Okay. So I want to dive into that a little bit. Tell me about how did you manage to target and then if I'm a financial advisor why do I use you versus like a hundred other people like what's the yeah you're likable but like you know <laughs> like you know is that it is it just you're likable like how are you able to build those relationships definitely not definitely not well I think number one I had a lot of organic relationships in that space whether it's was that from the HUD counseling job because you were dealing with like or was no, it from university so. or Yeah, no, more so from being at Xavier University and a lot of folks, the business school at Xavier is probably the best thought of school within the university. And so there's a lot of financial professionals that have that background. So you're alumni, basically. Hey, brother, like, what is it? What is your thing? X, like X-Men or what do you guys do? Uh, (laughs) Muskies. Muskies, Muskies, Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that was helpful. And just so many people are afraid to ask for business which blows my mind. I mean, really, it's not rocket science. It's not hard. It's initiating the conversation and the meeting and having a thought-provoking statement to give a financial advisor, which is... You know, I'm about to ask you that. Okay, I'm a financial advisor. I just graduated from Xavier, or I went there many years ago. Like, what's that look like? Hey, man, great to meet you, Tim. What would you say to me? Like, what's that look like? So we have a platform of lenders that we do business with, right? I'm not a banker. I'm not pushing one set of products. We have lenders all over the country that we do business with that can tailor the mortgage to your client's situation, right? So with a lot of financial advisors, they have clients whose kids are buying homes and that can create 
a very complicated situation when it comes to a mortgage because you could have tax implications on parents gifting money to their child. You might have a child that doesn't qualify for a mortgage, traditional Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac 30-year mortgage. You know, how do we tailor a loan so that mom and dad aren't co-signing, you know, with the child? How do we tailor this in a way that best serves our clients and gets the job done? And I've found that, you know, we really have a unique ability to put a scenario like that together that not a lot of other lenders are able to do. Right. So that, okay. yeah, Interesting. That, I feel like that has really spoken particularly to financial advisors who, you know, if I had a dollar for every time I heard an advisor tell me, you know, I've got a client with 2 million bucks and AUM and he's retired, I can't get him approved for a mortgage. It's crazy. He so doesn't fit the bucket or the box. He doesn't box. fit the bucket. Yeah. So how many financial advisors would you say are on your list of referral partners right now? How big is that list? I would say probably 40 to 50. 40 to 50. Wow. And so yeah. what, did some of them just send you a couple of leads a year? Like Yeah, for sure. Okay. Some send you know a handful a month. Some of those relationships, you may only get one or two a year or every couple of years. Okay. How do you stay in touch with all those financial advisors? How do they not forget about you? Because, you know, I meet you once, you seem great, but like, you know how it is. Yeah. I mean, Coca-Cola still advertises because they know we'll forget about <laughs> them and start drinking Pepsi. So Yeah. What, what you- so I utilize constant contact as a CRM I use where I'll maybe touch on that once a quarter maybe more frequently if I feel like there's a message that should be relayed to that audience. So give me an example of something that you'd send to that list of financial advisors. Yeah. Say there was a change in how income was calculated for a client that has money in an IRA, right? And no other source of income. I would send an email to that database Within the CRM, I have it broken down where I have financial advisors, I have realtors, I have past clients, I have attorneys. It's hyper-focused because I don't necessarily want to send a blanket statement. But with financial advisors, it could be explaining to them how to calculate a monthly payment using an IRA with a client that doesn't have any other source of income, right? Right. And that's valuable because a lot of times a scenario like that doesn't fall within the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac bucket, and that can create problems. Right. And then, so you're really a solutions guy and you really understand your avatar at the financial advisor and you understand their avatars, clients' problems, which is key. And then because you can articulate that, they go, oh, you're my guy. When I see that situation and then you stay in touch with them. So what's the most referrals that you've got from one financial advisor? Do you have like one that's like, you know, a beast? It's fairly well spread across. There's certainly a couple of firms that send more referrals than others. And some of it's based on how many clients they have, right? And, you know, we're only licensed in seven states. So there are scenarios where, you know, it could be a client who has a home in Massachusetts, for example, that I'm not going to be able to help in that scenario because I'm not licensed there. Right. How big is your database of past clients? If you look at your database right now, a client, you know, yeah, for the last, um, how big is that? I would say it's maybe, you know, 5,000 or so. And of the 5,000, how many of those would you estimate came from some financial advisor initial introduction? Of course, they come back. Great part is there's repeat business, rates go down. 
another sure. file there for you, right? Like another deal. Yeah. So what would you I, guess guesstimate of the 5,000? Yeah, I from would that? say maybe a quarter to 30%. Right. That's a pretty like good that. chunk of business from yeah. a referral source that typically most mortgage brokers and loan officers don't like Correct. we, everybody's like realtors, rah! you know, like <laughs> get them, get the pitchforks. Yeah. And chase taken, the realtors. I've taken a different approach, and it's you it's seem cool. less stressed. Maybe that's what it is. You, yeah. I'm talking to you. You're, maybe it's a Cincinnati thing. You just seem like you're not chasing realtors, so you seem so relaxed, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good setup. Because and financial advisors typically don't have the same like time const- Like it's not you know everything is. Just, oh my gosh! It's like okay, they're planning yeah. things and mapping Absolutely. stuff out. <laughs> okay, so is that there? Doesn't any... mean I'm not fielding calls. No, no, dude. At 394 <laughs> mortgages is crazy. So, do you have any unique product that works for financial advisors clients, or that has been very successful for you, or even if it's well, not financial advisors? Yeah, some of the portfolio products, Scott, where it's a lending scenario where the bank is lending money off of their balance sheet rather than selling the loan on the secondary market. I've been really successful with those loans because, to use the example. I was talking about earlier, every financial advisor has that retired client who has a couple million dollars AUM. They may not be taking social security yet for tax and income reasons. And, you know, they may be buying a second home in Florida for a million, million five, right? Right. That scenario does not fly in a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac type of loan. And so- we have portfolio lenders that will look at that and say, hey, you know, these guys have a couple million bucks, AUM, perfect credit, no debt. Let's figure out a way to make this loan work. And with portfolio loans, if my listeners, there's more flexibility there because it's basically their own. And exactly. is it, there's the only thing my experience, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is it the only thing about that is there's tends to be a limited pool of funds. It's not like correct. unlimited. They've got, okay, we got a X amount of funds and then they got to pick and choose. That's what. exactly right. right. That's exactly right. Okay. Are those relationships hard to set up like with the institutions? I got to imagine they got to have a limited. They are. They are. Right? They're typically selective about who they're working with. And like you said, there's only so much money right on the company balance sheet that they're going to lend. And so are these smaller banks or credit unions or what yes. are they typically? Right? Yeah. They're all smaller banks and credit unions. Correct. Right. You effectively become their like, instead of them having and maybe trying to have figure out a Salesforce situation, you become their Salesforce for them, right? Do you have to That's commit exactly to a certain right. volume with them or how does that work? Do you say, Hey, look, I'll get you X amount per year, or is it just the understanding that? Yeah. Well, it's somewhat subjective. We've had a lot of success with credit unions, Scott, and typically with credit unions, they set their pricing much differently than traditional banks, right? They're not necessarily moving rates up and down with, the 10-year treasury index. And a lot of times at the beginning of the year, they'll set goals for how much money they want to lend from their bucket, right? They may say, hey, you know, we've got $150 million that we want to lend. And they want to typically fill that as early in the year as they can, right? So typically they're very aggressive at the beginning part of the year. And then they sort of raise the rates in the last. It's kind of like a plane that the seats get more expensive as yeah. it starts to fill up, right? The yeah. first seats are like yeah. cheap. Now it's like, oh, okay, you're paying double that's with exactly the guy. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. And so one more question about your database. I want to ask about your process because again, the mortgage number I'm still floored by. You said 5,000 past clients, 30% came from probably FAs. Where would the other split come from? Would you estimate? 
Yeah, obviously real estate agents. And then, you know, the past clients, Noble. I've been fortunate to have a lot of clients that are in positions to refer other people. They're centers of influence. You know, I've done loans for people in politics, people that run large companies, professional athletes. And, you know, that has lent itself well to... Any NFL players? No, no NFL football players. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> you're already pretty cool. You want to go up my cool factor if you're like yeah. NFL players. I wish uh, I could say I did Joe Burrow's mortgage, but I did not. <laughs> what was the size of his property that he got? You know, I really don't know. I really price? don't know. He's the man. Big, He's the man. He's pretty, man. this sounds terrible. No, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. I was going to, yeah, I'll say it because I don't care to care. He could probably murder somebody and the police would help him, you know, <laughs> cover it up. I went to Texas with my son and because we went down to watch the Cowboys, we'd go to different stadiums and we watched on TV. They had the high school, top three prospects, high school. And uh -huh. I said, they're from smaller towns. I said to my son, I'm like, if those high school quarterbacks kill somebody, the police cover it up in that town. Like that literally, <laughs> like li I'm joking. They won't do that. But like, literally they're those like, guys major walk on water. they walk on water. It's like, yeah, he didn't do it. No, no, didn't, yeah. It's like, I'm just joking. Please uh, keep it not political. Okay. So you process wise, if I'm a client, I get introduced to you. That's a lot of loans to get through. I got a buddy who's extremely productive. Last year he's in Houston. He did 370 mortgages. Now he does a lot of lead. He's got a do the prospecting side, lots of calls. Yeah. But what happens? How are you getting through the loan so quick? So yeah. I'm a client. Walk me through that process a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in the market to buy a home, typically we'll have maybe I'm much more phone oriented than email. Scott, I really believe in talking to people. And I like being in face to face as much as I can. Obviously, how many, how many of your clients do you meet face to face? Not nearly as many as I used to. Hopefully that changes. But I would say, you know, maybe only 10 to 15% of clients I'm really doing face-to-face. -face. And so, uh, last year with the 394 mortgages, like in COVID, would it be like 10% maybe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was a low number. So I get referred to you, financial advisor, whatever. So what happens? Do you like you call set up me? an introductory yeah. call. That's always the first step. I like to talk to people before. I always tell people this is kind of like a financial colonoscopy, like, we are going to be it's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be deep in there looking at your credit profile, looking at your income assets. And it's a very personal business. There's a lot of emotion tied up in money. Mm -hmm. And so I like to get to know people a little bit beforehand. So the first step would be to have an introductory call. How um, long is that call typically? So that first 15 minutes. Okay. And then if at the end of it, it sounds like you can help me. What happens next? What happens next is I send you an application that- a Digital or paper? Digital. It okay. would take you maybe 10, 15 minutes to complete. And from there, my assistant puts together the application and we use Calix Point. Okay. So she would put the file in Calix Point. We would run a um, single bureau credit pool. And then we'd schedule up a follow-up call depending on the urgency, right? If it's a yeah, yeah. situation where you're, you know, you're looking to buy a house now, that second call could be 30 minutes after the initial call. And then who gathers the documents, you or your assistant? I have a template, a couple different templates where I'll send the list of documents that we need to gather. And, and do they just email them to you or using an online portal? Email. Email and then, and then, well, we use an online portal in terms of data collection. So we provide a link to a secure portal that's password protected. And they put their documents in there? They put their documents in there. 
And how compliant are people with that? What I love about you know the U.S. is you guys are a little ahead of us. You export everything, technology, fashion. You know, we exported Justin Bieber, so you can thank us for that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you want to thank us, but we send them to you. <laughs> so tell me about do your clients actually use the online portal, or do they find it confusing? What do you find? I find ninety percent use it and use it very effectively. Really, what software is it you using for that? It's called Datto Workplace. D-A-T-T-O, Workplace. Okay. It's very similar to Dropbox. Yeah. And then is your assistant reviewing documents? I would assume. Yes. And then if there's any issues, probably bounces to you. I would yeah, say, hey, what do you issues, Yeah, there's issues, it bounces to me. But assuming there isn't, we would have a follow-up call. And basically, I would explain, this is what we could qualify you to borrow. And going back to financial advisors, I like to explain to people, you know, especially people I'm fortunate to work with, you know, a lot of my first time buyers don't have student loan debt and they have mom and dad maybe helping them out with the down payment. Right. And so, you know, I always make sure to let people know that I'm not giving you financial advice, right, on how much you should be borrowing. Basically, what I'm doing is putting guardrails around your search so that you understand, you know, not to get over your skis at a certain price point. But right. always encourage people to talk to their financial advisor if they don't have one. Do you refer people to financial advisors? I have. Yeah, I have for sure. Okay. And then, all right, so say I'm going to buy a place. We do that first call. You do a second call. Will you do the call if you don't have any documents? You'll just do it with the app? Or will you always want to have documents for you to do the next call? I do the second call without docs. And um, then there's a third call potentially once you have docs, if there's any. Correct. And Correct. so how long is the second call and third call? I may be getting into the weeds, but I'm trying to compress down 394 mortgages. And in, 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 <laughs> so. Yeah, the second call is probably another 15 minutes or so. And then from there, we're kind of off to the races, right? You have an understanding after the end of that call, all right, this is what I can borrow. Here's kind of a basic overview of where rates are. You know, we might be having a discussion about different loan products based on what the scenario is and how long you plan on staying in the home. We ask a lot of questions and kind of our whole thing here, Scott, is that we want to tailor the loan to align with the client's short-term and long-term financial goals. Right. Um, and a 30-year mortgage maybe isn't necessarily right for everybody. Right. And so we try to provide some education because most people that aren't in the industry don't know so anything what, about it. And these things always change. But if you look over the last year, what was the most common, you know, product? 30 year. 30 year? Fixed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, 30 year money is at 3%, it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. It's kind of hard to do anything other than that. Right. But now with interest rates going up, it really brings to light some other products that I think people should think about outside of a 30-year loan, you know, really think about, all right, how long are you planning to be in the home? Number one, if it's maybe a client in their 50s, how much longer do you plan on working? And do you want to have your home paid off by the time you retire? Are you comfortable, you know, keeping mortgage payments into retirement? Just mm -hmm. having those conversations. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. The financial colonoscopy is a Horrible image. You can put that on your business card. And they come into your office, whoosh, you put the glove on and snap it. Like, right. <laughs> they'll be like, I'm not done. Fuck her up. Yeah, fuck her up. Okay, so 
That makes a lot of sense. And then do you follow up with pre-approvals so that once this is done or you just kind of, because I've seen two things. Some people are very aggressive at staying on top of those pre-approvals and other people are like, they're so well referred that you know that they're either coming back or they're not. You don't worry about it. What do you do? Yeah, I don't spend much time following up on that. No. And then in terms of prospecting, so not every loan officer or mortgage broker I talk to seems to have a lot of success with their database. It seems like they love them and leave them. They seem to be wired like realtors. What do you do to keep so many people coming back to you? Like, are you running campaigns? Are you like, what is well, it that we, you think is- we, we do a good job of keeping data collection. And what I mean by that data collection is that, you know, we've got a database with every client we've done a loan for with their interest rate, their loan amount, the appraised value, the address. All so that will you guys data. run reports and figure out who could use your help? Exactly. So yeah. it's targeted marketing. And then, okay, you run a report. So yeah. obviously when rates are going down, last year looks like you did a bunch of refis. So you're finding these people. How are you getting them to go to look at this? Is it email? What does that look like? It's mainly a phone call. Oh, okay, uh, you just pick up the phone and- Absolutely, yeah. Who runs the reports for you? Do you do it or your assistant? We have another assistant that runs those reports. Okay. Just entering, and it sounds you know probably more impressive than it is. It's basically just an Excel spreadsheet. Right. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't work. need to be anything more than that. And then they say, hey, look, Mrs. Smith looks like there might be an opportunity to save them money. You pick up the phone, call them. Mrs. Smith goes, oh, great. Actually, I'm thinking about also putting in a kitchen. Fantastic. Exactly. New mortgage, exactly. just like that. Yep. And how much of your business would you think comes from that, from that particular function that you guys are doing? Yeah, probably another 20 to 30%. So it's literally like free money. I still can't understand why mortgage brokers just don't. <laughs> like they just, it makes no sense to me. Like it doesn't make sense to me either. And right? it's a much easier sell. It's somebody that you've done business with. The trust has already been established. And so I've found that to be extremely effective. Okay. So I think I got a good idea. Is there anything you think I should have asked you about that you feel like allows you to be so productive? Gosh, no, I, I mean, again, I think the main thing for me is just focus and kind of bringing the same mindset to the office every day. How do you do that? Is that just how you're wired? Is it part of your DNA or do you do something in the morning to get yourself set? Like, No, I mean, I'm kind of wired that way. I think I'm very mindful of how I'm spending my time. You know, if we were to draw like a pie chart, you know, I'm trying to spend a certain amount of time prospecting. I'm trying to spend a certain amount of time working on my existing pipeline. I'm trying to spend time on knowledge acquisition in terms of just making sure I understand not only what's going on with the market now, but macro things that are and trends. Right. Yeah. Trends. So um, how are you adjusting to the higher rate environment? So like, obviously it's going to take away some refi opportunities unless sure. there's a financial reason for it. So what kind of pivots or adjustments have you made given what's yeah, happening? I think it's more so you've got to be more outward facing in terms of looking to folks that have, you know, maybe home equity lines of credit that are outstanding with balances and talking to them about, you know, consolidating debt. If they're not actively using an equity line that is on a variable rate, that's going to be going up. So do you find that in your reporting and your seed, so pull up your little spreadsheet yeah. and be like, Oh, you got a HELOC or a home equity line of credit. I don't know if you guys call it a HELOC yes. and then be like, Hey, are you just aware this is going to go up? You want to talk about your mortgage? Is that what you're doing? That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of working on the business, Scott, in times like this, where maybe, you know, I'm not going to close 394 loans this year. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah, you're not like, yeah, on your current trend, where do you think you're headed for? Yeah, I think that we're probably maybe 30% off of that number. 
So still a pretty high volume. So still 250, 270 mortgages kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But really working on the business rather than within it in terms of, you know, what can I do to improve my process? Who are referral sources that I need to touch on that maybe I haven't touched on as much in the recent years? Just again, working in the business when rates are low, like they've been, you're just in survival to keep your head above water. Right. So if you look at your day right now, how much time is spent on prospecting activities? Do you have a certain block of time you spend on prospecting every day? I try. Yeah. I try to focus at least an hour to an hour and a half on prospecting every day. And so that could be phone calls. It could be looking at those reports, looking for deals in your database, could be reaching out to people in your network. It could be reaching out to people that I've had conversations with that haven't done anything. So just follow up. You know, maybe we had a conversation two weeks ago, just following back up and staying on it. Right. That's awesome. Okay. And are you guys hiring? So if somebody's in your market and they're good people, are you looking for people or are you guys like? Yeah, I think we're a great place for someone that has experience in the business that wants to, I mean, the beauty of this, Scott, is that, you know, you sort of run your own business, right, within the company. And Nobody's checking in on you when you're coming and leaving. And so you got to be disciplined. And I think if somebody has a book of business that wanted to change, it'd be a great fit. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Hey, Tim, it's been awesome to get to know you. Thanks for sharing a bit of how you do what you do, man. And uh, go get uh, Burroughs Mortgage the next time it comes up. And I'll refi you, buddy. <laughs> I'll get it. <laughs> you're going to get it. Okay. Good chat with you. All right. Thanks, Scott. All right. Hopefully you found that conversation to be valuable. I know that I picked up some nuggets from my conversation with Tim just on how he targets financial advisors. And I think that's a pretty clever, it's like a blue ocean strategy, as they used to say. So the blue ocean is where there's not lots of competition. The red ocean is where there's competition and we're killing each other. And so I think financial advisors are one of those areas that a lot of mortgage brokers don't focus on. And so it's a great strategy. If you're listening to this and you're like, hey, in our 10 loans a month academy, we do have some coaches that focus on financial advisors. And so if it's something you're interested in, go to 10loansamonth.com, get on the wait list. We only open that up a few times a year. And all of our coaches are successful top producing mortgage brokers who can show you their tricks and tips. In this upcoming segment, I talked to Ruben about how to virtually service your clients. Hey, Reuven, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, thanks for having me again. So today I want to chat about servicing your clients virtually. So COVID has kind of changed the way people work, live, interact with businesses. And even with things opening up, I think that there's going to be some things that are going to stay. Some of it's working better, in my opinion. So tell me your thoughts on, because you guys are a virtual company, have you seen that play out? Yeah, we've seen, obviously, COVID pushed a lot of people to try and do things that they probably wouldn't have tried before or that they would have typically been laggards on, right? So for example, you know, I still remember a couple of years ago when the first wave just came out and the world came to a halt. We've always been resistant in my family to online grocery shopping. For whatever reason, you know, we love going to the supermarket and picking out the produce and all that. Never quite had trust in the system to have somebody else pick, you know, your produce and your groceries. We didn't know how it would work. Obviously, when we didn't have a choice, we dove into Instacart and some of these other services. And the first time felt a little bit awkward. But then when you got the delivery, you sort of realize, well, wait a second, we got our delivery, we saved a bunch of time, we probably saved at least an hour Hmm. getting groceries to us, we saved a whole bunch of gas. At the time, we felt a lot safer. 
And that's something that's really stuck with us since like we've been, you know, almost moved our entire grocery shopping online since then. And again, it's not a behavior that we would have adopted in the past. And I think, you know, from that experience, a lot of us as consumers have moved into, you know, whether you're virtually applying for a mortgage and dealing with your broker completely over email or text or Zoom, all the way through what we do, which is, you know, enable you to close that transaction entirely virtually without leaving the comfort of your home or your office, etc. And it's become almost ingrained in us. And frankly, I don't really see those behaviors changing. No, we tend to like things that are easier to do, you know, just human nature, we're always going to find the path that's easiest. I think that's why we continually make improvements and things. And so I agree with you. My family right now, everybody in my family has COVID except me. We did test. I've tested. I'm fine. Maybe I had it. I don't know. Maybe I'm so stressed that COVID's like, I'm not coding that guy. That's a bad idea. But whatever the situation. So now my wife has started using Instacart and shopping. She's like, this is great. Like, so that's one thing we hadn't adopted. But I agree with you that customers, once they try it a few times, they start to trust it. I know the first time I called an Uber, and I was with my dad and I was in Toronto and because we called a taxi, they didn't show up. It was a terrible experience, right? And so I'm like, I'm going to download this thing called Uber that I've heard of. This was a few years ago. So I downloaded it and then I click the button and then I can see this guy coming towards me. I'm like, oh, look, dad. And he's like, what is this? I said, there's a guy going to pick me up. Give us a ride. And he's like, this is crazy. Some stranger's going to pick you up. I'm like, no, no, seriously, just wait. And you can see him driving towards you. Oh, he's coming. He gets in. Everything's great. My dad's like, that was amazing. And so my dad is not, you know, he's 70 years old now. I downloaded the app onto his phone. And next thing you know, I see all these charges for my account because he had my credit card attached to it. I'm like, ding, 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 my dad's using Uber all the time. So I agree, once people try some of these virtual services, you know, ordering a cab, ordering food, keep doing a real estate transaction, why on earth do I want to drive across town, find parking to go into a lawyer's office, to sit there, sit in the waiting room, then come sit in your office to sign papers, the whole experience doesn't make any sense. It's not great for me. And then if something has to be changed, now I'm like, oh crap, sorry, I've seen that happen. People now have to yeah. get back in their car, reschedule. Yeah. You know, It's just not a great customer experience. And so I think they have higher expectations for service. And I think that you can deliver it better virtually in a lot of cases, especially the way that you guys do it. I think of the idea of show versus tell. So like if I can share a screen and I can walk you through documents or if a mortgage broker can show you the application, I can explain it to you better than I can if we're just sitting here, better than I can on the phone. Because yeah. I can not only just tell you things, I can show you, hey, see this here? This is what TDS is. This is what affects it. And then they go, oh my gosh, I trust you even more. This is a great experience. So what other things have you seen that shifting to more of a virtual experience that been working for you guys? I think, again, ultimately it's anything, like you said, Scott, anything that makes life easier that could be done virtually, you know, people have gravitated towards and will likely stick to it. On the opposite side, you know, people are dying to get out and socialize again. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, first conference in two years, and you could see the look of people's faces. They're just happy to get out and be there. So some of those things, and I know, I think you and I have probably attended, you know, dozens of virtual conferences over the last couple of years. And I think we can agree it's not the same, but things that are task oriented things that are very outcome oriented so getting groceries getting food signing your documents having some very kind of simple touch points maybe to update you on certain topics those things i, I firmly believe will stick to virtual and once people have experienced a virtual signing in our case or like in the example that you just gave with your dad and uber odds are you're not going back to hailing a cab right you've already gone through that great experience life's easy got everything in an app 
your son's paying for it even better. Yeah, right? it's even better. It's like, dang, and I shouldn't <laughs> put my credit card in there when I put it on his phone. <laughs> yeah, I think that some things, especially task-oriented things, people are completely comfortable with a virtual experience. You know, ordering groceries, signing mortgage documents, getting mortgage advice, but going to a concert, not the same. You know, sitting in a Zoom room, watching a concert is not the same experience as going to a live sporting event, going to a conference. I think that those things, there's going to be a premium on those because people do still need to connect. We're still human. There's something about in person. So that's not going away. I just yeah. think that there's parts of it that will be forever changed when it comes to especially business transactions, right? Like some of those task oriented things that you're like, I just want it done smoothly. I want the least amount of hassle, but other things, you know, driving to your office to sign papers with you, Ruben, no offense is not the same as going to a conference where I get to meet people, go have a beer, go for lunch. That's a totally different experience. And I don't think that's going to be replaced with technology. For sure. Now there's a whole other side to this as well is that, you know, as a mortgage agent or mortgage broker, you're also limited by your capacity to meet and chat with your clients, right? So now think about, you know, an in-person meeting, you know, usually a half an hour's task, the person's going to come in, you're going to need to dedicate that, you know, 30 minutes or whatnot. It's a lot more efficient and almost kind of arguably say it's the ultimate productivity hack to be able to continue to be virtual. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, for those that have run their business that way for the last couple of years, it may just be a natural progression to say, hey, you know, things have opened up now, but I'm going to continue meeting my clients virtually because my clients actually prefer not to come into my office or meet me at Starbucks and spend their time. So I'm, you know, saving my time and I'm being more productive. So how many more Zoom meetings or virtual meetings can you get to in one day as opposed to driving around town, having coffees or meeting with different clients? Now, there's always a fine balance of both, but it also helps. I know in my example, my day is a lot more efficient when I've got a whole bunch of virtual meetings and I can get to, you know, different people and different topics, as opposed to if now I have to go out and, you know, meet somebody for lunch, that's a, you know, two, three hours out of my day that's effectively gone, right? Right. You know, a couple of quick thoughts on that. So first, I got two friends, two brokers, very, you know, successful, 100 million plus producers. One of them is running his whole business from Barbados. His business is in Toronto. And another guy moved his family to Florida and his business is here in BC. And the guy that I was chatting to this week, he's in Florida. He's like, I'm actually getting more done in less time because he's at, compressed it and he's working four hours a day, still doing the same thing he was doing before. And he's realizing, wow, I have a lot more time than I had before because he was one of these guys who was high, loved to meet people face to face. But now he's like, wait a second, this is actually, there's benefits to this. So I think that's part of it. The other thing is that with our agents, so when we coach our agents, we coach them on how to present like a listing presentation to realtors. Well, they'll do those all by Zoom. You can yeah. do them face to face. You don't need to. Like we got people that'll do three, four of them in a day, you know, but it's all on Zoom and you can build new relationships, build trust, get referrals. You never even have to like meet them face to face and certainly not right away. So funny enough, Scott, so I mentioned I went, you know, to this first conference in a couple of years and, and I've met a lot of folks that were at this conference virtually, meaning we've never met face to face, but even that first interaction, just saying, you know, hi, how are you? It felt like I've known these people for years just through virtual relationships. So I know there's a lot of skeptics out there that'll say, well, you know, there's nothing like breaking bread together. There's nothing like having a drink together to build a relationship. I couldn't agree with you more, but at the same time, you could build relationships virtually. And it's not a technology thing. It's really how you go about building right. those relationships. And obviously, you know, the time you're investing and the value you're bringing to the relationship. 
I think it's 90% as effective as face. There's things about face to face that depending on what you're trying to accomplish. So, all right. So I personally think obviously servicing your clients virtually is not going away. You guys have a fantastic process for that experience that you've created. Any last thoughts on this whole topic before we wrap it up? I think definitely maybe just sum it up, you know, virtual is here to stay. It's not going away. Definitely in our business, uh, closing real estate mortgage transactions where consumers want the convenience and essentially what they want is a very smooth and seamless outcome. We understand that we cater to that. We know that it's not going to be hundred percent for everyone. And I think no business in the world is got its target customer to be everybody, but nonetheless, if doing things virtually is your thing, I definitely see, you know, the industry continuing to operate that way and find a lot more efficiencies, both for our clients and for ourselves as well. Right. And then fit in those experiences that really are something that would be better live, like conferences and concerts and those types of things. Right. So, okay. If you guys listening to this, check out Ruben's got an amazing company that has dialed in the experience when it comes to the real estate transaction, the closing deeded.ca. I know that you guys are crushing it. Check them out, dita.ca. And thanks again, Ruben, for chatting with me. Thanks for having me again, Scott. All right. Thanks again for listening to this episode with my conversation with Tim and Ruben from Deeded. So if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, how do I get my business going? I want some ideas for my business like you got from Tim, this conversation. Go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com, set up a free power search account, and you can literally search all of our past episodes, keyword, find exactly everything we talk financial advisor you could literally go back and search financial advisor and every time somebody brings that up or in one of the episodes you can jump to that spot and you can listen and go oh there's another get there there's another one so go check that out totally free and thanks again for being a listener this is an i love mortgage brokering production